Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Men podcast, where we focus on how authors found success, looking at strategies that have taken them to the top of the bestseller charts, as well as what they've learned from their mistakes. Because being an indie author is more than knowing the latest marketing trend. It's about being innovative and creative and learning from your mistakes. Your co-hosts, Jamie Albright and Sarah Rosette, couldn't be more different. In fact, they're a study in contrasts. However, despite all of their differences, they agree that sharing what they wish they'd known, both the good and the bad, is the key to moving forward. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Wish I'd Known Them podcast. I'm Sarah Rosette. And I'm Jamie Albright. And this week we have Craig Martell on the podcast. Yes. So this week we have a podcast and we talk about pricing strategies and some, he did some experiments with co-writing and mm-hmm. how that turned out. And that was very interesting. It not was, what you would think. Was. And yeah. um, we also hit on um, writing with health issues because he's mm-hmm. had some issues and how he writes through kind of around his difficulties, I guess. And mm-hmm. I think it'd be really interesting for people to hear because he is very prolific. Yes, and, he, Craig is very prolific, and he's very he's very entertaining and engaging mm-hmm. when you talk to him. So it's a great it's a great interview. It, it really is. I enjoyed talking to him a lot. So it what's is. going on with you this week? Well, um, I have been doing some admin stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I just uploaded the pre order for the Christmas book, and I used the new um, Apple interface. And I was trying to. It's called authors.apple.com. Mm-hmm. And once you actually get through the uh, computer maze, the Sarah's got her hands going like she's going through a maze. <laughs> like you go left and right, left and right. You, you get through all these screens and you finally get to the one where you can upload. And it was actually very simple. Oh, very so, good. Um, so that worked well. Um, so if you're wide, the, you might try that out. You don't have to have, you know, used to you had to have the um, Apple systems like a, a Mac or something to use to upload. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to have that anymore. So Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So I did that. And um, also listened to a really cool podcast. It's an older one because I'm, you know, not in my normal routine. I can't keep mm-hmm. up with everything. Mm-hmm. But this one was with, um, it was the Creative Pen. It was, she interviewed Natalie Sisson, I believe is how you say her name. Mm-hmm. She was talking about writing for the long term and setting up a business that's sustainable. Right. And one of the things she talked about was, um, uh, like finding the place that's the bottleneck in your systems mm-hmm. and getting rid of it. And so for a lot of, what things, if that's you, that is me. That was my problem. <laughs> I'm the problem. I know. So, but, that, but she didn't talk about it in the podcast. And um, so one of the things that I was thinking like for, for our podcast, mm-hmm. like I do some of the stuff and upload it. Mm-hmm. and get it ready to go and I thought I was thinking if something happened if I got sick if I got stuck out of town if my computer dies the podcast wouldn't go out and so oh, no it wouldn't because <laughs> I don't know what to do <laughs> so what I did was I was going to get Adriel to help me she's my assistant mm-hmm. but I was like it just kind of overwhelmed me to think of like all the like make typing up a list of everything that yes. needs to be done yeah so yeah. what I did was I did a I use zoom and I just recorded myself when I, I did everything. I went through all the steps and then I sent it to her and I said, can you make a workflow list of mm-hmm. you know tasks that need to be done? And then she's going to help me do it anyway. Yeah. So, so, so that Jamie create, is not completely so, in the dark when 
right. So we now have a record of how everything is supposed to flow. But I thought, you know, for her to create that, it probably only took her like five minutes. And for me, it would be like, I would get lost down some yeah. rabbit hole working on some thing to create some special project or something. Right. So, so I actually outsourced the creating of the workflow, which I was That's like, great. Oh, yeah, so that worked well. So I'll link to the podcast because it was just interesting to think about, you know, what can I offload mm-hmm. and how do I get rid of it? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that That's was fun. Great. So I feel much better that we've kind of sorted that out. Excellent. Um, yeah, excellent. I feel better about it too, even though <laughs> I didn't know it was happening. <laughs> you're not getting sick and you're not leaving town. <laughs> no, I'm not. Not in, any, not in any... Uh, plans that I have but anyway, exactly so we got backup now so that's good yeah so what are, you, what are you doing um I have been uh working on the beginning stages of the next book that um uh, duking it out is the name of it and um so it's the second book the follow-up book to the book I just put out um well it's at this recording it'd be almost four weeks and when this comes out it will be have been a month uh, or four weeks not a month and um uh, so I've been doing that, you know, the just really beginning stuff of that. But I've also done a lot of admin stuff because, you know, I've been gone and a lot of things kind of fell through the cracks. I mean, nothing critical, but I, just things I needed to take care of. But one of the things, and I, I just putting this out there because I, I think it's going to be good. I think it's going to be good, but um, I'm doing a push. For, my, for the new book, Today and Tomorrow, uh, with increasing ad spin and stuff, just right before we hit that, you know, 30-day mark kind of thing. But also, I've set up um, a rifle-copter giveaway, and I did a giveaway in my group. And um, so there are two different giveaways, but I, it's a paperback and then in a t-shirt with my book cover on it now let me just say you have to get permission from your cover artist and if it's a if it's a uh, custom photo you have to get permission from the uh, photographer to do this but they both gave me permission I'm only doing like four of them Uh, but my cousin does t-shirts so she's going to do them for me but I'm doing that and then I'm referring so for the rapid copter they go in they like you know, so, you know, they have to do what they have to do, which what I've set up is they have to go to my Jamie Albright page and like a particular post that talks about homecoming King. And if they like it, comment and share on it, that's their entry. They also, I paid the extra money. So they also have a chance to have another entry if they share the, um, rifle thing. And I'm, I've, you know, it's only been running today, but I've been really happy with it. And I think it's a good way to get the net, you know, get my book out there um, to people who wouldn't know it. Yes. I'm giving away a shirt and a, and a book, but honestly, in the scheme of things, that's pretty small. That's a pretty small yeah. expense to get exposure. So that's just something to think about. I mean, I was just, I was talking to my friend, Adriana Locke and she sort of helped me think through, you know, what to do for your warm readers and what to do for cold readers. Mm-hmm. So warm readers, the people in my group, they have to, they're doing something else. I mean, I'm not doing a raffle copter for them. So, but it's the same prize. 
it's just a different sort of thing. I, they're going to Goodreads and liking some reviews on Goodreads because when people like your reviews on Goodreads, they, um, it, you know, it puts your book in their feed, in their right. news feed. And so people see it. So, so it's more visibility. Yeah. yeah. More visibility. So those are, uh, those are just some things I'm thinking about. Um, how to get visibility without spending a lot of money uh, and doing it, you know, the right way. And uh, so that's what I've been doing. Yeah. That's really smart to do, to think, okay, so this is for new people mm-hmm. and this is mm-hmm. to, um, for the people who already know me. Mm-hmm. And um, we're going to have on uh, Zarkeen and one of the things that she's been working on lately is she called it a news, nurturing her newsletter peeps. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so smart because so often we get fixated on finding new people that we forget right. to be right. kind with right. people who already follow us and right. exactly. follow our books. And yeah. Yeah. So I think that's really good to kind of split your thinking and say, yeah. how can I get new people? But then what can I do to the same, you know, at the same time to help people know that I appreciate them for reading right. my book? So in my group, in my in my Jamie Albright Brighton's group, I'm giving away two books and two t-shirts. I mean, so I'm doing twice what I'm doing for the raffle copter, but mm-hmm. I want to give them the chance. And, um, yeah, it's, it's worked really well. Um, I've been really happy with it. And I mean, it's just another thing. It's just a way to think outside the box, but, um, I, I think it made me in talking when I was talking to Adriana, it made me think, Oh gosh, yes, I've got warm readers. And then I have readers mm-hmm. who just, sort of know me or don't know me at all. And, um, those that you have to, you have to, uh, go at them, so to speak in two different ways. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really smart. I have a release coming up in August. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking of doing the same thing. I'm going to do like signed paperback giveaways for my readers who are already on my newsletter list. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of years ago I was doing like the King Sumo giveaways where mm-hmm. you can, and I was doing um, paperback books of my own, but I was also adding in like authors that wrote books similar to mine mm-hmm. so that when people would enter, they, they might not know me. And if it was just mm-hmm. my book, they might not enter, but if right. there's like three other authors that they're like, Oh, I love those books. Then mm-hmm. they might enter and it would right. you know, help get the yeah. word out. So, so. so yeah, I'm going to do something similar. Yeah, just, uh, um, but you know, Rafflecopter is to me not very intuitive and I have spatial issues. <laughs> and so I'm having to sit there. I was sitting on the sofa, like with my hands tracing back, like if they go here, then they have to go here. And my husband's like, what are you doing? I'm like, don't even ask. You're going through the maze. Do not get in my mind. You don't want to live there. <laughs> But you got it done. I got it done. I got it done. So anyway, well, we should probably get on to the interview because it's so great. Yep. So here's Craig. All right. Okay. So today we have Craig Martell with us. Hello, Craig. How are you? Oh, great. Great. Coming to you live from the subarctic. Yeah. That is awesome. You're our first person from the Arctic. Yeah. Subarctic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Subarctic. So let me read a quick bio in case people aren't familiar with you. Craig Martell grew up in Iowa, joined the Marine Corps, and got to see the best and the worst the world had to offer. Then he earned a law degree. No matter where he went, he always had a book with him. He lives in Fairbanks, Alaska, where he and his wife get to watch the northern lights from their driveway. It's a great bio. Yeah, I think that's so cool. <laughs> and, then, and then there's times like right now where it's light 24 hours a day. So yeah. we get both extremes. 
Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. Well, Craig, tell us uh, what genre you write in and how did you get into writing? I, I write science fiction mainly. I, that's what I read growing up. That's what I read when I was in the Marine Corps. Uh, I mean, a little thriller here and there, but generally science fiction, all different, all different flavors, not horror. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and why did I get into writing? Because I, I, I retired from the Marine Corps and then I went and got my law degree and then I went into business consulting and then I was gone half my life. And I, I retired from that because I was just gone all the time and uh, I didn't retire so I could be away from home even more. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then uh, I was, I was at home and, and taking care of man things and I lit myself on fire and I decided that I needed to do stuff that was a lot safer so uh, I, let me let me think about writing that book that I always wanted to write, and uh, and that's how it started. And 61 days later, I had my first book done, and then yeah, needed to edit it, reread it, all that stuff. Yeah. But uh, still writing, I, I liked it. I liked telling the story. And when I published that first book, I had three books written already uh, through the process. And since then, I've uh, just I, I, I like it. I like telling stories, and, and I like the business side of it as well because of my uh, my business consulting background. Yeah. But yes, yeah. I literally lit myself on fire. I was about to ask. You literally lit yourself on fire. Oh, that's yeah. I took yeah. I took a shower in gasoline and then it lit. Oh my so it was God. actually I, I don't recommend it. No, no. But riding is a lot safer. Uh, carpal tunnel, some little joint issues maybe, but no fire. Um, <laughs> unless you're riding so fast, which you do, you're very prolific. And uh, you, you just told us before. Um, we got on that you wrote 120,000 words last in May. In May. That's right. Oh, that's amazing. That's just fantastic. That's fantastic. So what was your first big success? What was my first book? And it was actually the, the first book I ever wrote. Now, I couldn't sell it, but a traditional publisher, an imprint of Simon & Schuster, was into zombie post-apoc, mm-hmm. and they wanted to expand their horizons, so they asked their editors who – I knew through a friend if uh, if they knew anybody. So it was like unsolicited, but solicited. She's like, hey, you've written uh, Post-Apoc. Do you want to submit it? So I did a quick submission. Pretty much I just sent her what I had. And she said, ah, we'll take it. So I got a contract off that one book that then became a four-book contract. So successful, yes, first book, fluke, just because it was the right genre at the right time. And I knew the right people. But uh, uh, since then, almost every book, I've had some that haven't done as well as others, but uh, generally they're all well-received if I can get people to read them, which is inevitably the challenge, isn't it? Sure. Yes, it is. Well, so um, it sounds like you had a really strong just background knowledge in the genres you like to read, and that's what you write, it sounds like. So is there anything that you wish you had known about writing and craft when you got started, like you look back now and wish you had known? That, that, that is a great question, and that's one that uh, I, I thought about when you guys sent me the questions. It's generally no. I think a lot of the lessons that one needs to learn are learned through reading and then also making mistakes. I think we remember more from our mistakes than we do from our successes. Mm. So for some reason, I had gone through all of uh, background stuff and and uh, went and got an MFA and then, and then went and tried to put a book together. Uh, it would not have been anywhere near the learning uh, uh, ability of just doing it, getting it out mm-hmm. there and getting feedback. So, but the one thing, there is one thing that I wish I would have been able to do earlier and done earlier was not my, my ego of, hey, I've read thousands of science fiction books. I can write a science fiction book. Mm-hmm. It's get John Truby's uh, Anatomy of Story. 
And that is where you really take it apart and dissect a story and then you recreate it with your, your tale that you tell. And that something as simple as that, even though it's a very complex book, once you get into it, something like that would have given me more of a, a theoretical structure of books instead of, I like this, I don't like this. I'm writing it this way and I don't like that. So let me take this and, and, and re-wicker it into yeah. what I like. So mm-hmm. inevitably, a hundred and some books later, I still write, geez, I like this. So it, I should keep <laughs> writing it this way. But I did, I just hired for my, I have like 140 publications and mm-hmm. 103 are novels, wow. novels and novellas. Mm-hmm. And I just hired a developmental editor for my next book, which I'm jumping back into thrillers mm-hmm. with a uh, with a new title and a new series, and I, I really enjoy it. I changed the per- from third person omni. I made it first person. Mm-hmm. I did uh, I did a lot of research, read uh, the various top thriller books, what what makes them different, mm-hmm. and then hired a developmental editor first time ever to go That's through great. and just butcher it and challenge me. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm learning a great deal. And I think the story the story was good. My beta readers liked it. Uh, so, so far. And uh, they said, Hey, this is great. You really need, you're going forward. You got me. I'm hooked. And I sent it to my, my, uh, my developmental editor and she turned it back with like all red, just, just sliced it's and like diced. It bled to death. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and it, it, this isn't copy edit. This is just, yeah. Hey, this phraseology, yeah. look yeah. at it, think about this. And I, t- I tweeted around, I sent it back to my beta readers. I said, Hey, here's after, here's after my developmental editor got to it. And they said, Oh my God, yeah, we thought it was good before. This is great. This mm-hmm. is, and I'm like, that's what I want. I want good to great. Uh, mm-hmm. Good, good, good pays a lot of money. I'm telling you that, uh, <laughs> but great, I want great makes an impact. And that's yeah. what I'm going for. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of in the same situation. I, I used a developmental editor for the first time, like an official developmental editor. Yeah. I've yeah. used heavy, heavy beta readers before, but yes. this is a, and yeah, it's the same sort of thing. I mean, she went through, she was like, um, I love your heroine, which I thought was maybe not, maybe she wasn't as strong, but she's like, your hero's a little petulant and he's kind of arrogant and not in a good way. And I was like, Oh really? I liked him. So, uh, but yeah, I hadn't even thought about it. So same thing. Yeah. You just have to go back through and do the hard work, which stinks because. And, and challenge you and yeah. challenge your understanding of your own story mm-hmm. and the presentation of it. Cause I, Kind of my style is I jump around a little bit with random thoughts mm-hmm. to keep the reader guessing and, and actually make them read it a second time to mm-hmm. then follow it. But but she's like, here, tweak this chronologically, change this. It wasn't it wasn't rewriting a lot of sentences, but it was really moving mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. flow around. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I was gonna say because this is a theme that I we've heard on our podcast a lot is that people who've done really well have generally written in the genres they love to read in. And I think that that's just so important. And while you mostly read science fiction, you did still read thrillers. And I know some of your science fiction still has some thriller, you know, aspects to them. So um, some of your books do, but yeah. So I think that's just so important. If you're listening, that you got to read the genre you write in. Yeah. And I think as we read, we internalize, like maybe we can't figure it out. Like you were saying, once you read the Truby book, it kind of helped you deconstruct it and figure it out. But like, I feel like instinctively, I won't know what's wrong with a scene, but I'll just know it's not right. And so it's like, it helps to have that other person help you figure out how to tweak it, you know? 
great. It gives you a common language with people who are helping you shape your book for a reading public. Right. Yes. And, so, and that's what I appreciated from that. Yeah. And also, I, I had uh, on the CNM show, we had Elena Johnson. And mm -hmm. to prepare herself for writing Western romance, she said her statement, I, I'm still, uh, uh, you know, amazed by this. She said, I read every mm -hmm. Western romance book. Yep. I'm like, she's like, every single one I could find, I bought them all. At the mm -hmm. time, there was 55 or so. I read them all mm -hmm. and I took <laughs> notes. Here's this trope. Here's this. And I'm like, holy cow. And needless to say, she is absolutely killing it in Western yes, romance. Is. She is. She was one of our guests as well. And yep, I remember her saying that. Yes. Yeah. Just, that's commitment right there. Yeah. So, uh, Craig, tell us what you wish you'd known about marketing um, when you got started. On social media, the important thing is know your target audience. And mm -hmm. and now I do a lot with authors. So just, just don't market to authors, other authors. That's not your target. Mm -hmm. Look for how you can, <clears throat> how you can address readership. And Michelle Spiva, if you've, uh, uh, if you've talked with her, she will talk about how do you develop your audience? Mm -hmm. You want people who want to be entertained, go find them and entertain them. And it's a, it's a, it seems like a simple concept, but entertainment doesn't necessarily mean book readers of science fiction. It could be a, hey, James S.A. Corey, if you like The Expanse, this could be a series that you can really sink your teeth into. And and that kind of thing, find those readers. And that's a big thing is, is don't look to your fellow authors for guidance in helping you find the readers, but don't look to your fellow authors as if they were a target all in, in and of themselves. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of authors like when you when you get those um, requests to like her, someone's page or join their group or you know, and you're like, I'm not your audience. Like, you need to go find your readers, not other yeah. authors. Yeah, I think that's really really smart. Yeah, it's not going to be helpful. Mm -mm. So, um, what assumptions did you make at the beginning of your writing career? Did they turn out to be right or wrong? I think this is the same assumption everybody makes is. I will write it and they will love me for it. Uh, it first, nobody loves you. Uh, uh, your mom may not even, uh, but uh, you, probably you, know, you can shape that a lot better than you can shape readers love. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a, uh, it's a process of finding them, putting the product product, not your baby. You're, you're selling your baby, but you need to take that hat off and put on the, uh, okay, now I'm, uh, now I'm the marketing officer and, go put it out there to potential readers, the right potential readers. Mm -hmm. And this is, it's easier when you have more than one book because then you can discount and run promotions. You run it on, on for me, science fiction, book barbarian. Uh, there's ones, I love vampires, that one, the uh, ILVF, uh, and uh, you have uh, the Red Feather Romance. You can put them out and you can, they can help you find readers for your, mm -hmm. for your books. If you have one book and you make it free, you're going to have challenges because uh, 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 nobody will remember you. Mm -hmm. You have to have something else that then can monetize and good business consultant words. Mm -hmm. You have to monetize your product. Mm -hmm. You can't just, uh, unless you're just looking for love and then, yeah, you can go to Royal Road, do whatever you need to do to, to get it into many hands as possible and feel the love mm -hmm. or, or the hate. Because you're going to get trolls no matter what. You're going to get people who don't like your book. Yep. So if you are, 
if you are hard over, if you get one bad review out of 50, this may not be the right business for you because everybody gets bad reviews yeah. unless you, unless you narrow your marketing so much that you risk losing any kind of sales because like, I'm just going to sell to these 100 people who love me. Mm-hmm. Difference. If that's uh, your expectation, then shape that appropriately. Don't expect to, hey, I'd like to retire from my day job. Well, then that takes a business mindset mm-hmm. and not a, I want people to love me. You, the, the two don't really work hand in hand. Nope. They can, mm-hmm. You can have the majority of people love your stuff. Mm-hmm. Great. Then you're doing marketing right. But if you want all of the people, you're not going to get that. But even if you go look at like, incredibly popular, well-respected books like Jane Austen or, you know, the greats, they have bad reviews on their books, you know? So it's, it's unrealistic, but we all have that. We hope that everyone will love it. So it's, it's hard to get over that. (laughs) And anytime I like expand my marketing to a new audience or, or I use a different platform or something like that, I always gird my loins because I know that I'm probably going to get reviews that, you know, I could get some reviews that don't reflect the other reviews I have from my hardcore readers because I'm spreading out, you know, I'm, I'm throwing the net out wider. And so some of those will be hit or miss. So you just know that, but. That's right. And that's, and that's when you know to dial back your marketing. Mm-hmm. If you start getting a flood yeah. of, of bad reviews on a good book, and, and you know this because strangers have read it and they like it sure. and they read sure. your genre and you see the reviews they leave on other books, it's like, ah, okay, they compared it with these other books, which I market and target. Mm-hmm. And then you get these, start getting these odd reviews. And it's like, okay, whatever marketing campaign, now you got to walk back and take a look. Right. And hopefully it's clear, ah, don't do this, don't market to this. Mm-hmm. And as I learned that on my, my second and third books, which were a new series, mm-hmm. and uh, that one, <clears throat> I started getting reviews. Oh, this reads like YA. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, it, it is, but it's stuff I read when I was 12, 13. And I wrote it that way. No sex, no, uh, no swearing, you know, some action uh, uh, scenes and stuff like that. And I ran it that way for like nine months. I was marketing it and it was doing okay. Not bad at all. But then I'm like, okay, the reviews, like a third of the reviews are saying, ah, this reads like YA. You know what? It's the same readers. All you got to do is tell them, hey, this is young adult. It's clean, It's mm-hmm. but you're going to like it. Mm-hmm. And no kidding, I, I changed all that marketing. I ran a whole new series of promotions, put book one for free, and the other books, I, I just counted like book two, 99 cents, mm-hmm. and three through six were full price. <clears throat> and it, it took off again. So nine months, it got new life. I made... Uh, last summer, I did a, the complete set, all nine books in the series, complete omnibus. That has been my leading money gainer for the last 12 months, that one oh, that's amazing. omni yeah. volume of books I wrote four years ago. Mm-hmm. So you, once again, take your take your uh, hat off. Okay, not everybody's going to like this book, but the ones who do like it well, and it's got like a 4.4, 4.5 right. on Amazon with 100 and some reviews. So right. as the omni edition has that many reviews. Right. So it's a... it's. Huge, huge win. It's now it's YA. It's in the YA, the appropriate YA categories. Yeah, I wrote it. They're adults. And people are like, well, you have to have a 16-year-old protagonist. No, you don't. Mm-mm. My protags are he's he's 20, she's 18. Mm-hmm. And they go through the series. They have kids. And by the end of the series, he's 27, 29. And she's 25, 27. Mm-hmm. And it, perfectly fine. No, I, ever since I rebranded it as YA, I don't get any reviews to say, oh, this is YA. No, that's great. And I think that's important. Again, 
if you're listening, this is important. Craig was not precious with that story. Like that wasn't how he intended it. But once he saw where, where he got an opportunity to sell that book, he changed his entire focus and marketing and stuff because it's a product. It is not your baby. And I think that's so important. I mean, it's hard when you first start too, to, to kind of separate yeah. yourself, but yeah, just not being precious about those things is how you didn't, make money. I didn't change the book. I didn't no. rewrite the book at all. No. I just changed the marketing, tweaked yep. up the blurb and, yep. and lo and behold, lots of money. That's amazing. That's so great. So have you ever made a mistake that turned out to be a good thing? or gone against kind of popular opinion of what you should do. And it turned out to be a good thing. I made a mistake that wasn't a good thing. And that's, I wrote my first four books with three different genres. Mm. Now all three sold are all four books sold with the one, the one thriller that I had written. Mm -hmm. I considered my very best book ever. And I still have a hard time selling it. There's no traction, but there's only one of them because mm-hmm. I, it never really sold. So I'm like, I, I can make more money writing these other books. Mm-hmm. And so I'm reinvigorating that series. I'm getting Stu, Stuart Batch covers. I'm going to add a second book. Mm-hmm. And then I'm writing the new series. I'm going to have two commensurate thriller series running side by side along with my, my Space Lawyer ser- series, which is kind of thriller, kind of courtroom drama. Mm-hmm. And that one is doing really, really well. So every new book, it launches up into the top whatever and gets uh, gets orange tags for the next six weeks to two months. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's way cool. <clears throat> but thriller. So I think there's a good crossover in that audience. Mm-hmm. And I'll be going that way. So stay in one genre until you can develop your readership and understand how to read your readers. Because mm-hmm. that's your market now. And how do you approach them with a new book? And if I just... And, and once again, this was the the, uh, the big mistake was I write it and they'll love me. Mm-hmm. No, they won't. So <laughs> the uh, know what you're trying to accomplish to get some traction and learn how to write. It's not just, hey, I can jam the words and tell a story, but learn how to write. And that's the John Truby book. Years later, uh, shed a lot of light on that, as well as uh, in, in my position with 20 books, I do meet an awful lot of uh, very high-powered authors, mm-hmm. and in our conversations, it's it's that quality of prose. Once you get to a certain revenue point, mm-hmm. nobody ever talks about quality of prose anymore because it's assumed because people are buying your books, and then they're buying your next book, mm-hmm. which is that is your greatest indicator that you've written a good book, mm-hmm. is if you sell book one, and 90% of the people read book two, you have written a good book one. And so that's, I've used that in my gauge. I have good read through, good read through, good buy through. And, and, but I, I felt like I'd hit a plateau, hired a developmental editor and look yeah. at, look at the new Craig go. So that's yeah. Uh, yeah. something that maybe consider that earlier in the process. Right. Right. That's well, so you've had a lot of books for writers as well. And so have you, um, tell us a little bit about that. Have you taken some of these things you learned and put them into the books for the writers? I put an awful lot of that in. I actually just published the second edition of Become a Successful Indie Author uh, uh, two days ago. Updated it this morning with some extra feedback that I had received. And I put those lessons in there. I, I tell everybody the quality. It's really the readers determine the quality of the story. But it doesn't hurt if you get a development mental editor and said, this is what I'm going for, mm-hmm. then you, you hedge your bet. You make it more likely 
that the book is going to appeal to the right readership if that's indeed who you're targeting. So, and target in a good way. It's not a creepy stalker way. So the, uh, but knowing, uh, knowing what you want, the product you want to deliver is, is important. And that's you're writing a book. It's still a product. You can tell a great story. You can have fun. You can disappear into that world, but still you can do it in a way that the readership expects and embraces. Yeah, that's great. And so tell us, what are the names of your books for writers? The first one is Become a Successful Indie Author, and the mm-hmm. series is Successful Indie Author. Mm-hmm. So you look up Successful Indie Author Martel, and it'll come up with uh, the series. The first book is a mishmash of everything. It gets you off the ground. It fills in some holes if you've been publishing and you weren't sure exactly, uh, is this right, is this not right? Mm-hmm. It tells the ins and outs mainly of Amazon. And then going to the second book is release strategies in order to timeline and get you ready and, and get you in the right business mindset to release your books in a way that maximizes your, your profitability. So that's that's the second book. The third book is collaborations, which I've done a lot of collaborations uh, with other authors. I've done, I did some uh, sample contracts in the back which I think that's a big thing that's missing when two people say, hey, let's write a book together. Mm-hmm. And then they do it and then they have a falling out and what the hell happens then. Mm-hmm. So uh, collaborations, to talk about the various collaborations, to include like submitting a short story for anthology and what the, the benefits, the pros and cons of that are. Mm-hmm. My fourth book was Write Compelling Fiction that Larry Martin, a, a long-term successful Western author, Western and thrillers, his wife, Kat Martin, is a very, very successful uh, New York Times bestselling uh, romance author. Mm-hmm. And and he wrote a book on write compelling fiction and sell it. He wrote it initially for an audience that was traditional published based, uh, 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 an audience of authors. And that was like 10 years ago. So I tweaked it up. I added my part for the modern day. We made it indie-centric. And then uh, republished it under Right Compelling Fiction, just the highlights and what he learned as a Western author and what I learned as a science fiction author. So we added a lot of, we had a lot of samples and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know this is audio only, so all my hand gestures are completely wasted. <clears throat> but, We're uh, enjoying it. <laughs> They're great, though. <laughs> the, so Right Compelling Fiction, this is Larry Martin. So it's Craig Martell and L.J. Uh, Martin. But uh, Larry, Larry wrote the, the backbone of this book, and I added stuff in and tweaked it and, and, and aligned it for an indie audience, which was our target with those. And actually, I just gave away like 30 audio codes this morning for Write Compelling Fiction because we had that turned into an audiobook as well. Mm-hmm. And then the fifth book is Pricing Strategies for 2020. I wrote that book just because there were so many questions on what, how do I price my book? Right. And pretty much I tell people, research your genre. Yeah. But yeah. Here's some other things. Here's some pricing models. Here's some uh, sales strategies. Here's some ad strategies, some promotional strategies for the overall marketing of a series or a standalone. And I address uh, those. Geez, that book is like 35,000 words just on, on wow. pricing strategies. That's and it's all the stuff I've learned over the last four and a half years, five mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. in this business. And understand, once I started, I started full time. I lit myself on fire so I couldn't be trusted outside. I had already retired from two different jobs. So when I started writing, I wrote full time from the outset. Mm-hmm. So when I say I've been in this business five years, I've been writing, you know, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you know, anywhere from eight to 12 hours a day, 
for that much time for five years. So I, I've learned an awful lot. I have well over my 10,000 hours in this trade in order right. to become a, a certain level of expert in, mm -hmm. in the stuff and, and not expert at all, but I've seen a lot of stuff and I've talked to an awful lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think that pricing is interesting because um, I know in romance, um, for a long time, it was launch at 99 cents. So you could get really low in the ranks and then you can move your price up and stuff. But even then the the pricing was not very uh, aggressive. I don't, I didn't, I don't think. Um, and then, but it's moved more towards that. And then it, the 20, I mean the not 20 books, 50 K conference. That's your conference. If the, um, Romance Author Mastermind Conference in November, Laura Lynn Page talked about uh, finding new readers at different price points because you will. I mean, there are just some readers that won't buy a book below a certain price because of perceived value. And then there are some people that won't buy a book over a certain price. And um, But I put my books to $5.99, which is pretty pricey for a, for a romance book. I mean, they're all 80,000, 90,000 words. But... Um, and I left them there until just this week. And I looked back at my stats from last year to this year and my sales were down just enough that I felt like lowering it back down to 4.99 would be a good move for me. But yet it, there's a lot more to it than just going, oh, I'm going to price my book at this price. You have to kind of look around and then see, see what sells and what doesn't sell. So yeah, yeah I, I think that's, if, if anybody's looking for something like that, that's a great resource because it's, there's a lot to it. I mean, there's yeah. just a lot to think about. And it, yeah. I mean, if you're Nora Roberts, mm -hmm. you can demand 1499 or your Absolutely. publisher mm -hmm. can say 1499 for the ebook, but please buy the hardback for 799. Right. I mean, yeah. this is, this is their business model. Mm -hmm. So, and if you only want to read it in the ebook, Hey, you pay 1499 because I love Nora Roberts. I mean, this right. is, and that is the, once you establish yourself to a certain point, you you command what price you want to pay. Mm -hmm. And also keep in mind that the publishers at fourteen ninety nine, it's not like, okay, hey, you're only getting thirty five percent on your revenue by seventy percent if you stick within Amazon did the research and said two ninety nine to nine ninety nine is the sweet spot for selling ebooks. Mm -hmm. And so that's why they reward it with seventy percent in that area. And so, I mean just keep it in there. And for for me, I could price a a, a a consolidation, my Omni edition, right? Nine books. Each of the individual books are four ninety nine, but I priced that Omni edition down to ninety nine cents, and I made tens of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. on 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 a single collection at ninety nine cents. And I priced it up, and then I got a bookbub feature, and then I made a lot of more money off it at ninety nine cents because a lot of people picked it up in KU, and 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 it's three thousand KENP, so I get the full payout that uh, they'll pay under, under Kindle unlimited. So the, uh, but everybody's experience is different and you have to look at what the market will bear in science fiction. Those collections, 99 cents is the competitive price point. I tried two ninety nine. I marketed, I spent a lot of money on advertising and <clears throat> I got some traction, but I didn't get anything like what, when I dropped it to 99 cents. Mm -hmm. Because then it, uh, it was all KU page reads. I mean, getting 30, 40,000 page reads a day for months and months. Mm -hmm. Decent money. That's mm -hmm. decent money when it all comes through in the end. Right. So you just you have to research what does the market bear. Right, right now, I, I have all my uh, 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 Omni editions priced back up in mm -hmm. order to 
establish a, a point with, from which I can then discount yeah. for yeah. later. Yeah. 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 It's important when you're doing pricing, your research to look at what type of book you're comparing to, because if it is a traditionally published book, they publish their print, they make more money off print. So they overprice the ebook to encourage people to buy the print. So you have to be careful when you're doing your research because not everybody is, you know, it's not a level playing field if you're comparing Indian traditional. Not in the so, least. Yeah. Not, not in the least. least. And just as a genre sort of thing, I did my box set in February and I had a friend of ours, R.M. Vance, um, kind of talk to me about my box set and he recommended the 99 cent thing. And I did it. Um, and I'm glad I did it because it was a good exercise. I made great money. But the reason I did 99 cents was to get really low in the ranks. And I did, but then I kind of leveled out within a week and a half or two weeks right at uh, about 1500 And I think, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that at two ninety nine I could have still been at around 1500 in romance. And yeah. so I would have made more money selling yeah. the book, but I don't know, you know, I, I did get just a ton of page reads and I, I mean, still to this day, I'm still getting about 15, 15,000 to 20,000 page reads a day nice. on that box set. And that was in February. So yeah. It, so it just depends on the genre. Yeah. Like you're saying at two ninety nine, that really wouldn't fly as well as 99 cents in science fiction, but in romance, I think you can price a little higher and still do well. So, and in advertising, good. if you advertise on Facebook and Amazon, that a higher price point then can drive to KU because on Amazon you cannot say, "Hey, right. pick this up in KU" because mm -hmm. that's taboo language. Right. So you just right. put it at a price point. You target the KU readers, mm -hmm. and it's a price point where ah, I'm not getting enough of a bargain on this. Mm -hmm. I'm willing to submit, uh, uh, take up one of my ten spots with yeah. this book. Yeah. So this is. It's and it's all things, and I go into that on pricing strategies, talking about the things to consider, because no one way is absolutely right for everybody. No, it's not. It's not. So I think that's great. If anybody's looking for something like that, this is a great resource. So Craig, you talked about it a minute ago, uh, co-writing. So you've co-written with Michael Anderley, but then you've also picked up authors and co-written with them. So can you explain some of that for us and for our Just, listeners? Voracious readers. I targeted whale readers when I initially started writing that people who would read more than a book a day, because I was writing a book a month. Mm -hmm. And if you're reading a book a day, fine, you'll read my new book when it comes out. You'll read 30 more books during the month. And then next month I'll release another new book because I wrote fast. I told the stories fast and it's just writing was easy for me in that mm -hmm. regard. So I was able to feed the the whale readers, those people who read a book a day. Mm -hmm. And I found that, hey, there's a lot more that they're looking for that I'm not able to produce myself. So let me take on co-authors. I brought on co-authors, tried some different uh, uh, genres, tried some different series. And after a year of that, and, and almost killing, I, I released a book a week, me, for 30 weeks straight. And wow. it was about killing me. Yeah. Uh, through re write, uh, reading, commenting, uh, writing uh, sections within other books, mm -hmm. as well as 
providing uh, outlines, minimal outlines and guidance, and then writing my own books. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that first six months, I released 30 books in 30 weeks. And then I said, I I can't do this anymore. It's killing me. And of course, I had heart surgery after that. So it it didn't do my heart any favors. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, the second half of the year, I made more money publishing four books than I did in the first half of the year publishing 30. First, I had, I had some work for hire where I paid and by the word to write the book, even though their name is on the cover. It's not a ghostwriter. I don't have any ghostwriters writing my words for me. And, and the second half, because my costs were way down Mm -hmm. and my fans who said, I, I'm not sure I'm not a big fan of your co-authored work because it's not really you Mm -hmm. a little bit different. And, and you accept that when you collaborate, it's like, okay, Mm -hmm. it's different. I'd like to think that it's better in some ways. And, uh, it, it didn't resonate. So the second half of the year, four books, I made as much as with 30 books. Now those 30 books, I'll provide backlist that I can make money on now. And sure. I've got a, I've got a promotion running right now that, that is doing well. Hey, mm-hmm. and it's backlist books. Mm-hmm. So learn, improve, understand, fill the, fill the gap for some readers, but then really know your, your, your baseline readership. And I'd mm-hmm. ha- I'd have enough books that, my baseline readership wanted books that I personally wrote and they were willing to all come back on board and buy a Craig Martell solo title. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing this year. I've got over six books published. I've got, a, I've got a few collaboration titles. Uh, Julia Hooney, who pulled me out of the fire with a, a work for hire project last year mm-hmm. uh, after five books in a six book series, the writer disappeared. He, he ghosted me. So like, oh my God. So Julia jumped in, helped me with book six that I didn't have time to write myself and did a great job. And so I'm like, okay, let's do this. Uh, she, mm-hmm. she came up with a series. She has 100% of the copyright in this series because it's her idea. It's her characters. We work on them together and we get us uh, and, and we publish three and that is doing really, really well. We did a, a huge buildup, a rapid release model where, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, pre-order link is in the end of the book. And, mm-hmm. and so that one's done well this year, but it was very, very tightly managed in regards to my engagement and, and the marketing and presentation of this book in a way that it's not me, but you're going to like it as opposed right. to, Hey, more Craig Martell stuff when it really isn't, even if I wrote 50% of it, it wasn't, it didn't have the same resonance with the readership. Right. So know your readers, feed your readership well, treat them well, and manage your expectations. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask on the co-writing, did you do the co-writing because you had like two, more ideas than you could write, even though you're so fast? Or did you just enjoy working with other people? Um, what was the basis for it? Uh, business opportunity in case in, in re- looking at the broader world of what's available and overall market share, even if I get a smaller cut of a, of a shared book, of course, compared mm-hmm. to a book that I wrote completely myself, then uh, I can still, I can fill in these gaps and, and the pay will increase. And what I found with re- releasing a book a week, it did not because my readers were selecting. So I sold the same number of books in a month, whether I released four or one. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's not cool at all. So I've got all these extra costs and I'm mm-hmm. making the same money. So it was a failed business experiment in that regard. Now, once again, I built a lot of backlists and that gives me the opportunity for promotions for staged and timed promotions and to get people different 
uh, entry points into the world of me. Mm-hmm. So I have all that now. Yeah. But, so uh, it's not it, in the long run, it will be fine because you have the content and you can do lots yes. with it. But we appreciate you testing the theory about yes, the rather yeah. release because I'm never going to be able to do that. Oh yeah, it'll explode your heart and make you give you gray hairs in yeah. a, in a hurry. Well, speaking so. of your heart, you've had for what you had for about a year some heart electric issues in your heart, correct? Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that that crap started uh, summer of 2018. Wow. Just a one-off, an odd one here or there. But then the publishing 30 books in 30 weeks, Mm -hmm. that did not help it at all. And four conferences that year as well. Mm -hmm. Because we had had Bali, then we had uh, Edinburgh, then we had Vegas, and then we ended up in in Australia at the end. Mm -hmm. So four conferences in 2019 about did me in. And my heart was self-destructing as I went on. I almost uh, almost passed out on stage in Australia. I couldn't breathe, and that was my heart acting up. I thought it was mm-hmm. asthma. It was mm-hmm. not. My heart was getting ready to give out. So two weeks later, I had uh, heart, heart surgery where they uh, tweaked some things inside. They fried a bunch of bad spots inside there and, uh, mm-hmm. and put me back on the road to recovery. It's, it is, I am almost at a, a solid 90% now. Because oh, it, it's 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 prevented from speeding up, so yeah. I can only go so far, and then uh, then I start uh, running out of mm-hmm. air again, and it's because mm-hmm. it's just my my heart will only beat so fast, and then it drops down quickly, which it takes medicine to do. It's mm-hmm. it's a whole it's a whole managed program. My cardiologist, I think, has it under control. I have a heart monitor on right now, oh, yeah. a thirty day as part of a follow up, but mm-hmm. but uh, the surgery after having that, uh, it changed. Uh, leading up to it, I wasn't getting enough oxygen just to, mm-hmm. because my heart wasn't beating right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had the surgery. The next two weeks were were tough to get words. Even though I wrote every day, I didn't write a whole lot. Some days, maybe 200 words was all I could manage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because uh, uh, my, my head wasn't clear, my dreams were different. My dreams are different now mm-hmm. uh, with a new heart. So it's uh, it's weird. That's interesting. <laughs> and uh, 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 once it started clicking where I started getting enough air, I... I have this uh, sexy little monitor thing that I wear that's a constant uh, O2 sensor mm-hmm. that tells me how what's the oxygen saturation. For the previous two years, I was 90 to 92% oxygen saturation. Mm-hmm. And and I asked, well, what's normal? And they're like, 100. You should have 100%. Yeah. And so yeah. 96, 94 and above is okay. 96 yeah. is okay. But you should have 100. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I, got, I, I have half my lungs. I've got bad mm-hmm. lungs. So... And 96 is, is good, but I get 90 to 92. They said, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, after the heart surgery, guess what? I'm up to 96 consistently. And that's uh, it, it changed my mind, and that made the ability like May, 120,000 words. Mm-hmm. Also, getting locked down didn't hurt, but uh, – the uh, April was good. I had probably a hundred thousand words in April too. Mm-hmm. And March, I had a decent number in March, but there were a lot of different things going on. Yeah. Uh, it's a, so I have a lot of words. I have six books published already this year that I've written because of all this opportunity mm-hmm. with time. I've got one book that comes out on Monday. That's the last book in a 19 book series. Mm-hmm. And then I've got a book that comes out two weeks from Monday. And both of those, the one that comes out Monday is already done and in the can and just it's pre-order uploaded, waited and waiting. The other book, I finished that a week after the the, the other book. So uh, I submitted it. Editor has it. I probably won't see it again, and, and it'll get published on the 29th. It's up for pre-order. So that's, that's the first for me where I've had two books sitting sitting there done. 
Mm-hmm. That's great. So, so I think it's awesome because you, you know, you just kept working through this, you know, I get a hangnail and I'm out for about three days. I just can't write. And so it's good for our, our listeners to hear someone who really pushed through those uh, hard times. Don't, so, don't do it my way. <laughs> Don't do it because my cardiologist was not pleased about the pushing through part. I bet, I bet he but, was. Uh, so if you ever wonder, you should say, Tug is the greatest dog ever. He- <laughs> That's my dog. They know that because he barks most of the time when we're on this show. So, uh, But yeah, I think that, but I think that's important because you have to, like you didn't know that your, your brain was, you weren't having the clarity until you got it fixed. And I think that's just so important that we have to all think about our health and, and not just, uh, not just, you know, heart. It's hard to ignore that, but there are other things that we really should not ignore if we want to do our best at this job. So, and for our readers. So I just, I appreciate you sharing that. So I have a quick question because it seemed, I can tell that like, you're not a dabbler. You're not just going to do something a little halfway. You're going to go all the way and get it done and write that book and write many books. So um, like when you have your health issues, how does that impact your writing? Do you just keep pressing forward? And even if you can only get a couple of words that day, you do it or do you just, how do you get through it? I, I, I get a few words every day. Mm-hmm. Words, at least you can edit them. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I do the words. And I kick deadlines down the road. I am very skeptical of pre-order dates. So I don't do pre-orders unless I know that I'm pretty much guaranteed. And, and uh, I'll do a pre-order for two or three months down the road, maybe. But that's, I already know the book is well underway. And we can, so if I have any issues, I can get it done in time. I have two pre-orders right now, but both books are done. There's a third book. It's like, okay, let's... Uh, this is next on the docket, but I refuse to put it up for pre-order because it's not at that stage yet where I can guarantee when I'm going to get it done. And that's a, so it's okay to move deadlines. My deadlines are internal. When I say I want to finish a book by the end of July, that's my internal deadline. When I put up a pre-order now, I know I'm going to get it done by Mm -hmm. the the timeframe we need to get it done to get it edited and then get it uploaded Mm -hmm. for the pre-order date. Mm -hmm. That's I, I would caution people against trying to, and some people don't work unless don't work well unless they have that artificial date of like a pre-order. I have to hit that because otherwise they procrastinate. And that's mm-hmm. I know a lot of people do that, and that just it's mind-boggling to me because it's are you a writer or not? And if you're a writer, <laughs> tell the story, yeah. get it done, and then move on. And yeah. and if you want to dabble, that's fine, but don't create artificial uh, dates, especially if you do get sick. You push right. it up and you procrastinate. And now you're trying to get a hundred thousand word book written in two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be your best work, and it's not going to it's not going to satisfy you in the way that you just write a good like this book that I'm working on, where I send it to my development editor, we work on it, and then I go jam the next uh, fifteen hundred to three thousand words. That's more gratifying because I can see it coming to fruition. It's like uh, mm-hmm. being a wood carver. And you're carving something out, and you're seeing it take shape. You're, you're uh, right. Michelangelo as he's making David appear. Yeah, exactly. I mean, always yeah. there, right? right. So all I did was make him appear, and did, but as you see him come out, come out of the marble, that's your that's what writing a story is for me. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that too. Uh, 
health and, you know, global pandemic, you can't really plan for those things either. So you need to have a little flexibility in your schedule. Um, because I think for me, that's been really hard. I mean, you know, at first I was fine, but as time goes on, I'm not as fine because I'm a, I'm an extrovert. I just, you know, I need to be around some people. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I, I know, and I go to the grocery store and I've got my mask on and I'm like smiling at people and they can't see me and it's just wasted smile and I feel so, yeah, they just think I can't see because I'm my eyes are crinkling up. Yeah. It plays with my head. I don't know why that does that, but it does. Oh. Uh, we, we hadn't had a new case of uh, COVID-19 up here for 30 days, right? Oh, wow. So when I went to the grocery store last week, I was, I was one of like 10% wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but we each acknowledged each other with that cool head tip. Like, yeah, I get you. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> As opposed to everybody else who just avoided making eye contact with the crazy people wearing masks. And okay. now this morning they reported, Hey, three new cases. And, uh, uh, and after 30 days without uh, a new case, uh, we enjoyed having you on here so much. So tell us what you've done to set yourself up for success. What do you think the one thing you did? <laughs> I tell you what, helping other people is uh, immensely powerful in regards to improving your own state of mind. Mm -hmm. And for me, I like helping other people, but I like helping other people from a position of expertise. Mm -hmm. uh, and one thing I tell uh, uh, people on 20 Books of 50K is that I don't feel I can, I can help this group if I'm not successful myself. So I drive forward on writing better and better books and improving marketing and doing those things that I need to do to realize my own personal level of I'm successful enough to help other people. Mm -hmm. And and some people say, you're insane. You're making a lot of money. Yes, I, I know that. And I do sell a lot of books, but also it's, a, it's enabled me to, for that one thing alone, it's enabled me to set up the, the 20 books Vegas conferences mm -hmm. in other people, very, very high powered people in the community volunteering to pay their own way and come to the show to present to other people because that spirit of giving back is, is contagious. And they say, hey, this is one show where people aren't going to press me. It's not for profit. It's not like the show runners are making this money off me. Because in that case, well, then you need to pay them. But I'm not making any money. And actually, I lose money on the shows, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. But it's it's giving back, and, and people jump in, and they're very, very uh, uh, giving and helping with their knowledge, and, and it becomes a great show. And and then I get the gratification, too, and that I know these people. I mean, I sent uh, – it was amazing because I sent Hugh Howie an email uh, and asked, hey, would you come to uh, Vegas 20, 2020? And, and he knew who I was right off the bat and said, yes, I'd love to. And I'm like, hey, we can, uh, I'll get you a room. He's like, I'll take care of it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, man, cool. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate that. And and almost everybody else, it's really weird in the community when you're known. So so as far as an ego stroke, yes, I sell I sell a good number of books, but you know, my ego is better stroked and when people know who I am. Uh, as yeah. a, a KF Breen, I asked her, I'm like, hey, could, would you like to come to 20 Books Vegas? She asked some questions. I'm like, you don't know who I am, do I? Do you? And she said, no, I don't. Like, oh, man. Okay. Oh, yeah, I've heard of 20 Books to 50K, but I didn't know who you were. I'm like, yeah. okay. All right. As, as a partial victory, but still, everybody <laughs> needs their comeuppance every now and then, too. That's so, that's so true. And I do think that that's important. And I will tell you that I've been to two 20 Books to 50K conferences. And the first one I went to was the first year. And 
I was blown away when you got up on stage and said, everybody's getting this much refunded to them because we have more money than we need. And I just, I think that says a lot because a lot of people that go to conferences are people who are struggling. I mean, you know, they're, they're struggling and, and it's hard. And um, that year I was struggling and, you know, last year I wasn't. So that was, that was kind of cool to get that little refund back. So. I think that's so neat. And I, I just, I think it's great to, that you give back to the community the way you do. So yeah. that's awesome. Yes. 20 books is certainly well known and you, I mean, it's helping a lot of writers get going and motivate them. So we, we have some great success stories of people who were able to ditch the day job and go full time. And that was their goal. If it's not your goal to be a full time, that's fine. Yeah. How do you make money with one book a year? We try, uh, try Jamie out all the time saying, Hey, I'll <laughs> give you the main stage. So we get a great recording at, uh, at uh, 20 books, Vegas <clears throat> in order to talk about that. And, and Hey, you're nothing compared to you're, you're prolific compared to general Marecki who is yeah. making full time money. She did two books in five years Wow. and is yeah. making full time money as an author. It just shows it, that there's so many different ways to be successful yes. and you can fit it into whatever lifestyle you have, or you can make it whatever you want, which is very yeah, cool. That is the great thing about this business. Yeah, uh, sure. That's right. And, and that's, it's it, all it is. I, 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 I tell people that we're setting the buffet and you pick and choose what you want. That's going to work for you. And by being able to bring people like Jamie and Jenna on the show and as well as present, here's how they're doing it. And this is one thing that we hold is, hey, just tell people what you're doing and not how to change their business. Because mm -hmm. all, all you can be an expert on is your own stuff. Absolutely. Hey, I did this and it works for me. Take what you want from that. And that's and that has worked so well for the group because nobody's telling anybody else, you need to use the Oxford comma, you <laughs> slimy worm. <clears throat> and and, and, it, and it, 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 no name calling. No, there's no need for any of that. Here's what I did. So if I didn't think that was good, then I'll call myself a name and I'll change it and get do better next time. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, this has been great and you've given so us fun. a lot of good yeah. information. We appreciate it. So tell everybody where uh, they can find out more about you and your books. Uh, people can find me on brand new website. We just upgraded, updated, and uh, and tweaked everything. CraigMartell.com. That's C-R-A-I-G-M-A-R-T-E-L-L-E.com. That'll take you there, give you an opportunity to join the newsletter, get a whole book uh, just for joining my newsletter. And then you go into my cool email welcome onboarding sequence where I give you five extra short stories, all free with each email and introduce you to the world of me. And anytime you can unsubscribe. So I, I, uh, I think that new onboarding sequence and Tammy Lebrecht, she comes to the shows, has done a great job presenting and building how you can make an email work for you. Mark Dawson has done great with emails. Uh, David Gogren has done great with emails and, and they get it. It's owning your audience as opposed to counting on Facebook, which Facebook owns your audience. And so now you're subcontracting and you're better off. You own your own audience and you can do that through a newsletter. So all of that stuff, find us on uh, CraigMartell.com and enjoy. Oh, that's great. Thank you great. so much. Thanks for coming on. It was great to talk to you. Thanks you guys. Hand wave. Alrighty, and you can find all the show notes and we'll put the links into Craig's books and his website and there will be at wishidknownforwriters.com. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. We hope this episode inspired you, empowered you, and made you laugh a little bit too. If you loved it, tell your friends about it. 
And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review. We look forward to being with you again next week.